We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan, and today I would love to offer just a quick little ditty on phrases and concepts that have supported me in speaking my boundaries. So when we think of boundaries, often we think of reclaiming our power of no, right? So how do you say no to people? And how do you take back what's yours? And as you familiarize yourself with the victim triangle, there are many ways that we can hide in victimhood and think that we are speaking our boundaries. So chiefly, It is whenever we need somebody to be bad and wrong in order to exercise our power of choice. So that's in the sort of like saying no category. 
we often recruit evidence for the validity of our no, which is itself undermining the entitlement that we have to our perspective, which doesn't require an explanation. So historically, I would have conceived of myself as being very good with boundaries when affronted, right? So when I was angry with somebody or when I felt wronged, I certainly had no problem speaking up. And one of the weapons that I would always have in my holster was, you know, this long email, you know, condemning whomever transgressed me and I would recruit all of the evidence and have all of the points. And I could construct that in like three minutes, right? The challenge is that I spent most of my life needing litigation level evidence to justify, validate, support, and legitimize my no. And that in fact is, you know, what I've come to call the erotic caress of the enemy. (laughs) That is like this obsessive attachment to that, which you are rejecting. That is the, you know, fuck you don't leave me energy of codependency. And so part of the reclamation of no also affords you the opportunity to begin to practice your yes, which is also part of boundaries, asking for what it is that you want and need without attachment to it being delivered from the impossible place. So not insisting that you buy eggs from the hardware store. And this is ultimately boundaries are the declaration of your I am, and we can only discover what it is that we are declaring as we come into this body sufficiently to feel moment to moment, this is a yes, this is a no. So one of the most powerful elements of beginning to practice speaking and living boundaries for me has been to slow down enough, slow down sufficiently, begin to develop a capacity for silence and space between exchanged phrases and words with another such that I can actually feel into, is this still working for me? Am I still okay here? Am I enjoying this? Am I not, right? When things are moving too fast and we have a habit of reflexively appeasing and enmeshing and only finding safety when we're in this shared space of agreement with somebody else, it's virtually impossible (laughs) to feel into your consent to the given dynamic. So as you develop the capacity to experience and hold in your body, the risk, which is, you know, fear, it's going to be a sense of you know danger that comes through your system. When you recognize that appeasement is not available to you in this moment authentically, or that enmeshment with somebody's reality is not going to actually work for you, you're risking the safety of connection that you would have sourced through those self-abandoning means. And you're stepping into your individuation for your body to be able to hold this experience. I am very biased around, you know, the the health reclamation piece coming first, right? First, you send your nervous system a signal of safety through the reclamation of the power of your lifestyle choices. Your body starts to calm, you know, the pain, the gas, the bloating, these signals and invitations to come home to yourself are beginning to resolve, then you can start to feel, and then you can start to hold. And then the witness is sufficiently present. That self with a capital S is sufficiently connected to enough parts of you that when the part that comes online that says, 
just go with this. It's fine. It's fine. You'll work it out later. You know, another part comes on that says, but this doesn't work. I don't like this. I want something else. And yourself with a capital S can organize these different parts. And you can hold all of that in your body. All of that can happen within like 10 seconds of interacting with somebody. So for me, these phrases have been really, really helpful to have in my pocket. And I'd love to share them with you. So in the, the sort of assertion of, no, this doesn't work, <laughs> that phrase is my number one. So I used to have all of the reasons why something didn't work for me. So let's say, you know, my family invited me to, you know, on some kind of trip or to some kind of event. And I, I felt that little sense that I was now attuned enough to generate an awareness around of no, not a big, no, a little, no, no, I don't want that. Right. And on top of the little no would be a big yes. Like, oh, it's fine. What does it cost you? Just do it. They're not going to like it if you don't. Right. And if I would give a reason, you know, because I have ballet class on a Tuesday, when you give a reason, when you insist on validating, what often happens is that then somebody who is not accustomed to your no might entangle and dance with the reason. Oh, but you can take ballet on Wednesday or what's the big deal? right? So if you just say, it doesn't work for me, period. And then you endure the silence, right? (laughs) Maybe you enjoy the silence. For me, it's often been, you know, early stages, it's been endurance. So I let the silence sit heavy. That allows me to legitimize my no in a way that doesn't beg validation from the other person. Okay. So number one is that doesn't work for me. Relatedly, is use of the word available, right? So instead of saying, you know, no, I don't want to go on a date with you because I'm not attracted to you. And actually like I'm pursuing this with somebody else, whatever, you might just say, I'm not available, you know, to go out with you. So I'm not available for dot, dot, dot. Okay. So we have, that doesn't work for me. I'm not available for, right? And then it doesn't get into the weeds of like, I don't want to, I don't like it. Just I'm not available for that. Availability is a very powerful concept because the implication is the vectorization of your attention and energy, right? What are you doing with that? Is it available here? No, it's not because you're putting it over here, right? Another one is whenever you might take the bait of shaming and punishing someone, because they're telling you something that you don't like. And I'll give an example. You might offer them what it is that they are actually seeking in a way that does not require you validate what they're saying. And that phrase is, I'll consider it. I was in dialogue with a family member who was attempting to warn me about how dangerous a trip I was planning to take you know, with my daughters was going to be. And I felt this part of me that apparently, you know, still wants to shame and punish those I don't agree with, right? Who are, you know, without consent coming into my field to offer me unwanted, unsolicited guidance that of course, some part of me probably agreed with, oh yeah, you might be doing a stupid thing, Kelly. You don't know what you're doing as a mother. Like you might be taking your kids to this dangerous place and maybe, you know, maybe they're right. So that tension, that little inner war can then get played out on the outside. And I, in that instance, noted that I felt the desire to shame and punish. 
like I would tread carefully here, you know, if you ever want to see my kids again, kind of a thing. And because I am deeply invested in ending these wars on the outside, I recognize that that punishing and shaming energy is giving my power away. You know, so my girlfriend was like, why, you know, why don't you just say I'll consider it? And this phrase was totally game-changing for me because to offer your consideration or even listening to the quote-unquote enemy in the moment, and that enemy always has a shifting face, right? It doesn't cost you anything, right? So to say, I'll consider it, which is true. I'm already considering it, right? So what would it be, you know, when somebody tells you something, gives you unsolicited guidance, advice, feedback that feels negative. And that feels like it disturbs your system, probably only because a part of you agrees with it. What is it to say? I'll consider it. I'm going to pause here to let you know that if you want more access to me, my content and to the incredible humans I attract, my membership community vital life project is where it's at. One of our members, Sunny wrote in to say, when I step into a VLP circle, group chat, or live meetup, I can take a deep breath and remember that I am among like minds who will support and encourage my growth and exploration. She said, this allows me to feel like I am not alone on my journey. And that is my goal, that you will feel a dimension of yourself finally exhale when you step into my field, your permission to own yourself, grow, and your practice of getting real about radical responsibility, strengthen. And that walking the sovereign victimless walk from health to relationships actually becomes delightful when you're with others doing the same. Join at the link in show notes and at kellybroganmd.com. Okay. Another one is to render your hurt to another, your perspective on what's wrong with the situation with only I phrases. So this is big nonviolent communication thing. So Begin your phraseology with I statements, right? I feel this because you'll find, as we all do, that when you are in your victim, you will reach for the blame, the finger pointing, and all of those sentences start with you, okay? So I phrases. And lastly, in the sort of no assertion category is what my coach Whitney calls the appreciation burrito. So when I am in a position to give critical feedback, to a partner, to a friend, to my child that I feel is essential to give in order for me to say no to something that's happening, something I don't like, something that's not working for me. It can often be a powerful bridge to begin with the expression of appreciation. You know, I've really gotten so much out of this workshop. It's been so expansive for me and not, but because, but undermines everything that came before it. And I am going to leave now. Thank you so much. And I will definitely, you know, pass the word on to others about how great this workshop was. So the appreciation burrito, I think is very, very helpful in the setting of relational feedback in romantic dyads to remember that nobody really wants (laughs) critical feedback, right? Nobody really wants to experience that they're doing something wrong. So what is it to lead with authentic appreciation? to share and then to, you know, close out with the integration of that appreciation. Okay. So then in the yes category. So as you explore and encounter your needs and wants, if you're like me, you'll find that it's easier to practice boundaries when something feels wrong, right? Meaning like you have to say a no 
and speak your truth, quote unquote, and, you know, practice in these ways that I've just referenced. However, what if like nothing's wrong and you're just recognizing that you want something or you need something and you're really risking rocking the boat if you speak up? One thing that's really helpful to remember is that your needs organize everyone. What works for you actually is best for everyone around you. Because when we self-abandon and we self-betray, we contribute to a shared field of victim consciousness with everyone we are engaging with. And it's it doesn't serve, right? So the expression and ownership of your needs and wants actually is best for everyone else. So one of the simple practices I've been engaging in is to express gratitude instead of apology. I think I got this off of a meeting somewhere. I think it's fantastic. So just noticing when I'm in that false deference, right? That endless trauma-induced apology, right? That is, is so common. I think especially for women, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, like somebody will bump into me and I reflexively say, sorry, <laughs> notice it. It's, it's pretty extraordinary. So if I am running late, I will say, thank you so much for waiting for me. Or thank you so much for your flexibility if somebody has to change an appointment schedule because of me, rather than I'm so sorry, you know, I'm running late or I'm so sorry I had to change this. So just retaining, you know, your your power and not feeling you have to lay it at the hands of somebody in debt, you know, who has accommodated your needs. And then I will just point you in the direction of how to ask for what it is you want. The person who has helped me the most with this is Kazi Arbaniak and specifically her book, Unbound, which was a revelation. I summarized the teachings in my Relationship Real Talk masterclass, and she has incredible teachings available. And allow me to simplify her rubric in this way. Getting clear on your energy and whether or not it is in the dominant or the submissive will allow you to ask from the right place and not from what she calls the smush, which is the, you know, I'm going to speak my needs and you better listen, but I'm sorry. Is it okay? Please. Hi. You know, so that sort of mixed energy of also, you know, what my coach is called like offering and asking, right? So are you, when you say, you know, to your partner, I really love it. If you come to this class with me, can you come? It'd be great if you're free. Like, is that, are you offering an opportunity to him or are you asking him because you want him to come with you? And that's actually going to make you feel better, right? So getting clear on whether you're in your dominant, you're commanding, you're focused outward, you know, what needs to happen and you're instructing. Often those phrases will start with you. Whereas the invitational submissive ask is inviting somebody into the fulfillment of your dreams, wishes, hopes, and desires, right? And often that kind of ask begins with an I, right? So, you know, when I recently asked my coach to participate in the Science in Heroes event, at first I was like, hey, are you free? I'd love for you to do an embodiment practice for this event, right? And because we, you know, explore this terrain, I said, okay, let me ask properly. And, you know, I said, Our collaboration feels so fulfilling and expansive to me. And there is no one I would rather, you know, do the embodiment practice for this 
you know, day long workshop that is hugely important to me. And I'd really be honored if you would participate. Will you? <laughs> so, so I'm inviting her into the fulfillment of my desire. So learning how to ask what you want. And the cheat sheet is, are you asking or are you offering? Get clear on that. Is it for you? Because sometimes if we're honest that it's really just for us, we don't want to ask anymore. And that's fine, right? We're not ready to make that level of a demand. So we hide it in an offer, but that's inauthentic. And it is a form of self-betrayal because when you're ready to ask and you learn how to ask and you own the fact that your ask is what everyone wants <laughs> around you is the clarity of your own desires. I sometimes joke that to live in a world where everybody knows what the hell they want and how to ask for it. Can you imagine how stabilizing that would feel for all of us, how clarifying that would feel and ultimately how safe it would feel. So lastly, there's just sort of a couple of concepts that I want to offer that help me as I practice in this way. One is to really recognize the eggs from the hardware phenomenon, hardware store phenomenon, which is that sometimes we insist that somebody be something they never, ever, ever suggested they were available to be, right? So, you know, if I work with a vendor in my business and I say, it's really important, you know, that you meet deadlines, that's really important for me. So I've expressed my need, right? And then he's late in a deliverable. I say, okay. And he's got some excuse, whatever. And then there's another time and he's late in a deliverable. I could get all into a funk around resenting and feeling disappointed and feeling entitled to something, but he already showed me. It's like that Maya Angelou quote, right? Like when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time, right? He's already shown me who he is. So, you know, I teach about this in my breakthrough masterclass more deeply, but it's a phrase that my girlfriend Tara offered me. It's there he is again, right? There he is, or there she is again, right? Oh, there he is again. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm the one who's being irrational and expecting something different. There he is again. He's always been this. There he is again, okay? And that can be a cue to wake up to the fact that I am aggressing on this person, expecting them to be something they have never shown me they're available to be. So there he is again. And then of course, there is such a caretaker impulse that so many of us have that sort of hides in helpfulness, but is really a manipulative tactic to secure safety. And that is when we feel we need to, especially I think women towards men, when we feel that we need to fix it for someone else. So, you know, this caretaker, this rescuer, and can we just have this phrase in our pocket? He's got this. She's got this, right? So in a collaboration with someone recently, there was a lot of negative feedback that that person got for collaborating with me, right? So I felt a self-consciousness around contaminating, you know, his life and his career. And, you know, this is what it is to partner with me or collaborate publicly with me. It's, it's damaging, you know, to his career. And so I felt this impulse to like, okay, we don't have to do it. You know, this event together, we can cancel it. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll fix this until I told myself like, he's a grown man. He's got this right. And when I feel the impulse to take care of a friend who's struggling in her life, how can I remind myself she's got this? It's just a way to sort of snap you out of that victim triangle where we just keep exchanging hats from the villain to the victim to the rescuer and we feed off of each other. And the truth is the rescuer never actually wants 
to rescue anyone. Because once that victim is rescued, then we don't have a role. So it's this parasitic sourcing that is really attuned to the energy of suffering that is available to invite us back into our own personal empowerment. So I hope that these phrases and concepts are helpful to sort of keep in your pocket as you navigate interactions that would seemingly set the conditions for you to give your power away, to enmesh, to appease, and to otherwise deny maybe that little whisper of awareness that says, you know, this is a yes, this is a no, (laughs) and I'm aware of it. All right, hope that helps. 